The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today I am joined by special guest, Dr. Travis M. Corcoran. He is a philosopher. And today we're going to be talking about using the liberal arts to protect intellectual freedom that's being threatened by academia, big tech, and the media. So Dr. Corcoran is a specialist on that. So we're going to be talking about it today. Dr. Corcoran, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. Man, It's a pleasure to be on here. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm uh, I'm currently practicing in, in the Netherlands. I have several healthcare clinics here, but I got started with a bit of a diverse education. Started, I studied biology, philosophy. I was also in the United States Navy where I studied nuclear engineering. But currently, I'm in chiropractic and delivering uh, natural healthcare as best I can. A long passion of mine was the liberal arts, not the liberal arts that we had in school, like, you know, foreign language, sociology, those kind of things, but the actual classical liberal arts, which there were seven. And I wrote this book on the first three with the idea that it would really help help all of us at this time. That's a nutshell. I hope I hope that helps, Curtis. What made you decide to move from the United States over to the Netherlands? Oh, man, what a... <laughs> That question I get a lot, and that was because right after chiropractic school, I knew that I could live and work anywhere as a chiropractor. So at that young age, I thought, well, I was a bit older than most of my fellow graduates, but I still felt young. I thought if there was ever a time that I could go have this opportunity to see other parts of the world, that I would. So I ended up actually in Malaysia, Curtis. I was there for one year and then ended up here in the Netherlands where yeah, I ended up starting my own company. Well, let's talk about how our intellectual freedom is being threatened. How is the government, big tech, and academia threatening our intellectual freedoms? Well, they do it quite well by working in collusion with one another. At least that's what I'm putting forth in my book. And it's not to say that everyone within these institutions is a nefarious person or has malicious intent, but the systems themselves work pretty cohesively together towards yeah the managing where the managing hands want it to go so in the book i write or i at least take the perspective of looking at this like if like a detective would look at a murder he's looking for suspects and he wants to the suspects are people that have means motive and opportunity so but first you, you need a victim and the victim i see is intellect our like our ability to think critically I think that it's been under attack or it's been murdered or it's yeah under assault. And you don't have to look much further than any any social media platform, the type of 
I don't want to call it discussion, but kind of the type of communication that goes back and forth is very ineffective. It's very low common denominator and it's rarely constructive. So when, when I, when you look at the way people interact with each other and this face to face has been taken away, you can see that people have kind of, how do I say it? Their ability to interact civilly and with respect to one another has seemed to just disappeared. People are ruled by their emotion now and no longer by reason. So what social media does that in a way, it, it almost like replaces our mother. It gives us all the likes, the hearts, tells us we're good people. And the government, it's kind of replaced our father. We rely on it to protect us. It's always promising to protect us from the next big fear, terrorists, COVID, drugs, the war on drugs, the war on cancer. The government's always there providing this false sense of protection, trying to play the role of the father. And big government, social media, or big tech, they work hand in hand. And um, many of the academia get all of their grants primarily from one of two places, government or big corporations. So you see here, just with like a, a large pharmaceutical corporation, is a great example of how they all work together. Every year for the last 10 years, one of these major corporations pharmaceutical corporations. We could go into weapons manufacturing and other ones, but if we just stuck even with just this one industry, what you can see is year after year, they're found guilty for uh, scientific fraud or blackmail or withholding evidence or something nefarious. They get a fine that's completely affordable, profits they make. No one ever gets held responsible or goes to jail. The people that are supposed to hold them responsible are the government, the people that play the role of the father who's supposed to protect us. They're not doing that. We see that the legacy media works hand in hand with them because most of their sponsors come from these big corporations. They don't report it to us. And academia, who's doing most of their research, is funded by the government, big government, or these big corporations. So it's it's interesting how they all collude together because they all share the same pockets. Does that make sense, Chris? At least that's what I'm putting forth in the book. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, let's talk about you. You talk a lot about the ancient liberal arts. So talk to the listeners about what you mean by that. So if we're under this intellectual attack, then it only makes sense that we would want to be intellectually protected or have like self-defense. No different if you and I were under physical attack. It'd be it'd be very valuable to know physical self-defense, like the martial arts or something. So that's why I wrote about these in the book to help people get this kind of intellectual self-defense. And that is the ability to think critically so that they're not ruled by emotion. Myself and everyone else, we have emotions and they're very good and they serve a purpose and we can never turn them off. But malevolent people can trigger those emotions, uh, elicit fear or anger and frustration in order to short circuit our critical thinking skills. Emotions are automatic. You can never turn them off. The best we can do is hope to manage them. And the way to manage them is to make sure that the voice of reason sits at the throne of your mind and not this multitude of emotions that are shifting day to day, moment to moment, a few choices. So it's good to have those emotions as advisors, but the voice of reason is what should be at the center of our mind, making our decisions. And so that's what we want to cultivate. That's what we want to nurture. And the first three liberal arts do just that. They are 
um, classically called knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But more traditionally, they were called, this is when like schools became to get more formalized or education was formalized. Then it went from knowledge, understanding, wisdom to grammar, logic, and rhetoric. But nowadays, it'd probably be easy, easier for us in this data-driven society to just understand them as input, processing, and output. Does that make sense, Curtis? Yes, you- it does. Yeah. In, cha- in chapter two of your book, you talk about how typical self-help advice makes things worse. Can you expand on that? Today's self-help has got, it's really kind of a mixed bag because a lot of what many of them say have a lot of truths in them, but a half truth can be just as dangerous as a full deception sometimes. So I'm just being critical of a couple of them and how they appeal to emotion. And in that part of the book, I just want to make sure people, I'm not wanting to dissuade them from those, those things. Like for one example would be um, people often say everything happens for a reason. Well, while that is a true statement, it's often misused. People use it to disengage from discussion or disengage from thought. When the world gets confusing or difficult to understand, they just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, everything happens for a reason. And that's tricky because it is a true statement. It's called the law of cause and effect. For every cause, there's an effect. And for every effect, there's a cause. This is just a universal law. And But people state that. To, to really end a discussion as a means of like, okay, we don't need to think about it anymore because, hey, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. But for a scholar or someone who wants to cultivate the quality of their mind, the statement, everything happens for a reason, is the beginning of a discussion, the beginning of an investigation. Everything happens for a reason. That's right. And I want to understand that reason. I want to know more about that reason. I want a better understanding of the world around me and why things happen the way they do, the, the way things happen in nature, the way things happen in politics, healthcare, businesses, relationship, finance. I want to know why and how things happen. I don't want to just use this universal law, everything happens for reason, as an excuse to disengage my mind. It should be the beginning of mental engagement. I hope that example kind of serves the purpose. What you're asking is my criticism is mostly that much of the self-help we listen to today appeals to our sense of emotion. It makes us feel good, like kind of this jacuzzi experience that we get addicted to, going to rah-rah seminars, appeal to emotion, and you feel good in the environment. But the moment you get home from the guru, you feel this overwhelming dread come back because it's not permanent. It's not appealing to your sense of reason. Something is reliable, systematic, reproducible, stable. Emotions aren't supposed to be stable, right? Does that answer the question? Absolutely. Well, tell us the difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Well, knowledge is, all three of them are, they're not the same thing, of course, but all three of them each have their individual concern and function. Knowledge, the very first liberal art, it's concerned with being correct. It's a ledger of what you know, knowledge, a ledger of what you know. And so it's basically data, facts, information. And right now we live in this like age of information where knowledge is very abundant. However, like you and I both know, knowledge may be correct, may be incorrect. There's a lot of knowledge out there. Not all of it's correct. And what we want to do, it should be our goal to strive for 
acquiring as much correct knowledge as possible. That's the main concern with knowledge. And its function is simply to define terms and structure a statement. That's why later it was also called grammar, right? So the first liberal art is concerned with constructing a statement with defined words and that appeals to correctness. The second liberal art, understanding, or more traditionally called logic, concerned not with being correct, but with truth, truth values. So this is where after you've somewhat familiar with the first art and you can construct a statement, in the second liberal art, understanding or logic, you're constructing an argument or a claim, which has several statements. So now you're, you're, you have at least three statements, two of which are a premises and the third is a conclusion. But of course, you could have 5, 10, 20, 60 premises to deduce or induce a conclusion, to draw a conclusion. So in the sec- that second liberal art, it's more concerned about the truth value or the structure of those arguments. Is it systematic? Does it appeal to reason? If it's a deductive argument, is it valid? And if it's an inductive argument, is it strong? That's the second liberal art or understanding. And the third liberal art, wisdom, the domain of the wise, this is a person's or the art concerned with effectiveness. Wisdom is concerned with the effective expression of what I know and understand. So really, this third liberal art is effective expression of the first two liberal arts. Your knowledge and understanding, can you effectively express this to others? That's who we consider wise people, right? There's a lot of people in the world that have identical knowledge and understanding to many gurus we look up to. But gurus are very effective at how they express or teach, right? Unfortunately, so are many politicians, but... Anyway, that is the difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge we acquire empirically or rationally, and it's just basically data. can be correct or incorrect. Understanding or logic is concerned with truth values and the structure of the argument and in determining the truth. And the third level of wisdom is the expression of that knowledge and understanding. Well, for the readers who are going to be reading your book, Give them some tips on how they can commit to accuracy. For knowledge is tough. You always hear, you know, knowledge is power. I don't agree with that because if all the knowledge you had was incorrect, then that wouldn't be very powerful. And just like if I put in incorrect data into a computer, that processor would give me an error. So knowledge is tough. I would say that one, make sure you check your sources. And if you're acquiring data, um, or knowledge empirically, meaning through the five senses, try to keep your emotions from it. Just observe them as they are. And if you're acquiring knowledge rationally through conclusions you've drawn from the second liberal art, then just make sure it conforms to reason. To do that, and this is where it all comes together, I think, is in understanding. If you understand the rules and laws of logic, which are very strict, systematic, reproducible, stable, reliable, just like addition and subtraction. And I go into it in the book a little bit. Make sure, just like you understand how addition and subtraction, division, multiplication work for arithmetic, which deals with quantities, logic deals with qualities, quality of statements. So you have to know their operators. 
Like arithmetic has addition and subtraction, uh, logic has conjunction and disjunction. In arithmetic, you have division, multiplication. In logic, you have conditional, biconditional, negation. Learning how these statements work and how to examine an argument or create your own arguments that conform to reason is probably the greatest superpower you could give yourself or form of intellectual self-defense. And it will ensure that any knowledge, back to the first level art, that you acquire rationally is, is true. And then for the third liberal art, <laughs> my favorite advice is when you're trying to, if you're certain of your knowledge that it's correct and your understanding is true and you want to express that to someone, there are a lot of ways to be more effective. One of those is to always try and stay in agreement with who you're communicating to. The moment you elicit emotion or trigger any emotion in your listeners, it becomes very difficult for them or for your communication to become effective. So things like that are acknowledging their arguments, trying to stay in agreement and repeating back to them what, what they've said to you. And also try to, instead of telling them what you know with statements, try to ask questions because most people are more likely to, when you ask questions and people come to the truth on their own, it's more likely to stick and stay permanent. Plus no one likes to be, not many people like to be told things unless it's from a trusted authority. But if you're already in conflict, then the best way is to ask questions. And even if uh, the person doesn't change their mind or you cannot effectively express your knowledge and understanding, you've still given them the opportunity to start thinking. When people hear a question, it's an invite to start thinking. And that's one of the best things we can do for our audiences or listeners or people we're in communication with in a relationship business colleagues, or whatever. Well, why do you feel like the word negative or the word rhetoric is always viewed negative <laughs> and how can it can be used and good? You know, like rhetoric is a good word, not a negative word. Yeah, I think it's it got that way because maybe because of politicians or maybe a used car salesman. I don't know, Curtis, but rhetoric did get a bad reputation because it was Mostly because when you look at it in isolation, that's all it really is about, effectiveness of communication. So in a way, it's not good or bad. What is good or bad is what's being expressed by the effective rhetoric. Just like many people say TVs are terrible. You shouldn't have a TV in your home. They're terrible. But the TV is just innocent glass, plastic, some metal wires. It, intrinsically, it's not good or bad. However, what you watched on it could be nurturing and nutritious for your mind or could be destructive for your mind. A hammer is not good or bad, but it could be good if you can build a house with it. It'd be bad if you're smashing windows out of a house with it. It depends on who is who's using it. Does that make sense? Like I wouldn't say it's it's a bad thing in itself. I say it's it's something we need to use with like a TV or a hammer, I guess. Absolutely. Tell us how the ancient liberal arts can be used in business and work and healthcare and politics. Well, the, there are a lot of areas to our life where being clear on our decisions, confident and knowing that they conform to reason 
is definitely better is definitely more beneficial to us than making decisions based on incorrect knowledge or a false understanding. So studying these things certainly is going to help anyone make better healthcare decisions. If you get two conflicting opinions from two different doctors, I get a second opinion from one, it contradicts the other one. It would help that I understand the laws of logic so that I'm reasoning so I can determine which one of these if either is a good option. Same in business, if it was in, in two competing investment opportunities or just an opportunity at all. And understanding the use of rhetoric as well when communicating with a salesman in business. Is he just really effective at rhetoric or do his arguments conform reason? So it would help you in business as well. And in our relationship partner, it really does help to understand or have some skills in the art of rhetoric so you can better communicate by, in a way that minimizes conflict and gets more resolution, right? And to understand the better you, under, you, you are at understanding or logic, the better you can apply that to your partner, understanding what they do, why they do. And if, yeah, if you can make things better, that's politics, healthcare, what was it in business? Yeah. And relationships. Oh, yeah. Relationships and, and politics. That was the fourth one. Well, politics is probably where we need to restore reason the most. And I think where the trivium will be the most applicable, applicable, because politics seems to control every aspect of our life. And every year it seems that they have, that governments have a little bit more regulations, more governing, more limitations year after year. And it would be important if we want to maintain some level of freedom that we understand in a way, like just like in relationships, one that produces cooperation and resolution and reduces conflict. That's why the trivium is very useful in all four of those areas of life. Well, can you talk about your book? Tell us about it and what readers can expect when they read it and how they can pick it up. Yeah, of course. The book, like I, like me and Curtis just talked about at the beginning, I'll just kind of tell you how I looked at these five and then how we've kind of been dissuaded from doing anything about it because much of the help and advice and gurus has really been an appeal to emotion. So I just wanted to give something that's more concrete, more stable. And then I talked about, I give a quick overview of what those three liberal arts are with examples, a little more in-depth about uh, the logic. And then after we've covered those, I, I talk about how each one of those areas that you asked me about, how each one of those can be approved by applying the, the trivium to those. Throughout the whole book, too, I give lots of recommended reading. If there's anything someone else wants to go further into, on every topic, I've recommended some of the books or works that I think really explain things even deeper if they want to go further. And if, they, if they're looking for the book, what I can recommend is just go go to restoringreason.com and you can just download the first chapter for free. It'll give you a good overview of what, what's all in the book and like it, and the style of writing. And it's easy to digest. You'll pick it up after the first chapter and that inspires you. It inspires you to read more to work more and to nurture and cultivate the quality of your mind so that the quality of your decisions also goes up and the quality of your life also goes up. I think the quality of our lives is dependent 100% on the quality of our mind. 
And that's why I wrote this book. And I'm hoping that you all pick it up and enjoy it. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? A lot of people like this discussion that's going around about what's going on in the government, politics, or in their personal lives. So up coming up, and you can stay in touch if you go to restoringreason.com and you just type in your email, you get that first chapter, and I'll stay in touch with people and let them know what's coming up. We think we're going to put together a monthly group uh, where we can jump on a Zoom call. We'll ask questions, practice civil discourse, and uh, start a private group Facebook where they can join and just get like a two, two to five minute video from me talking about some of the topics that are going on right now and to reinforce some of the lessons from the Trivium. Okay, well, restoringreason.com, any social media links, or is everything going to be found there? You can, it's so simple, man. I put everything on there so that, uh, I mean, our lives are complicated enough. We've got a lot to figure out. So I just put everything on that one way. And um, with your permission too, Curtis, I can put this on my media page as well. Absolutely. And I'll close us out with some final thoughts. Tell you what, Curtis, I uh, I want the best life possible. I want the best life possible for you. And so the way I look at the world and the reason I wrote this book is because I know that my life is better if the people I live with, like for instance, my roommates or my family, if they're happy and they're healthy and they have intellectual self-defense and they can properly defend themselves, I feel safer, I feel better, and I feel happier. And I know that I'm gonna cooperate with them better, we'll have better communication, we can innovate more and we can achieve more. And so if we all thought like that. And I think most parents do, most aunts and uncles, friends, everyone thinks this about their family and their community or even their housemates. If you just expand that to like, not just the people in your house, but the people in your city, your community, or even in your nation. And we looked at the world like that as if we were all roommates, then we'd all want this same thing for each other, that we wouldn't need these skills, but without them, there are those nefarious people that will use them against us. So the best way for the best life for all of us is to learn these skills. That's, that's what I want. And what I want, ladies and gentlemen, is for you to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. I also want Android listeners to go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Dr. Corcoran, thank you so much for joining me today. You bet, Curtis. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate that. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.